Okay, welcome back. Part 3, The Origin and Purpose of Nations. This is turning into a long study, but we will be done this time. Let's begin with Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and the princes thought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Daniel was a prime minister of Media and Persia, Perhaps we can read about that in Prophets and Kings, page 487 and 488, a couple of paragraphs. As the Lord cooperated with Daniel and his fellows, so he will cooperate with all who strive to do his will. And by the impartation of his spirit, he will strengthen every true purpose, every noble resolution. Those who walk in the path of obedience will encounter many hindrances. Strong, subtle influences may bind them to the world, but the Lord is able to render futile or futile every agency that works for the defeat of his chosen ones. In his strength, they may overcome every temptation, conquer every difficulty. Uh, this is something that we've got to remember, that in the strength of Jesus, we may overcome every temptation and conquer every difficulty. God brought Daniel and his associates into connection with the great men of Babylon that in the midst of a nation of idolaters, they might represent his character. How did they become fitted for a position of so great trust and honor? It was faithfulness in little things that gave complexion to their whole life. They honored God in the smallest duties as well as in the larger responsibilities. As God called Daniel to witness for him in Babylon, so he calls us to be his witnesses in the world today, in the smallest as well as the largest affairs of life. He desires us to reveal to men the principles of his kingdom. Many are waiting for some great work to be wrought, brought to them, while daily they lose opportunities for revealing faithfulness to God. Daily they fail of discharge, discharging with wholeheartedness the little duties of life. While they wait for some large work in which they may exercise supposedly great talents and thus satisfy their ambitious longings, their days pass away. In the life of the true Christian, there are no non-essentials. In the sight of omnipotence, every duty is important. The Lord measures with exactness every possibility for service. The unused capabilities are just as much brought into account as those that are used. We shall be judged by what we ought to have done, but did not accomplish, because we did not use our powers to glorify God. A noble character is not the result of accident. It's not due to special favors or endowments of providence. It is the result of self-discipline, of subjection of the lower to the higher nature, of the surrender of self 
to the service of God and man. Through the fidelity to the principles of temperance that was shown by the Hebrew youth, God is speaking to the youth of today, even to those of us who are older. There's need of men who, like Daniel, will do and dare for the cause of right. Pure hearts, strong hands, fearless courage, they're needed. For the warfare between vice and virtue calls for ceaseless vigilance. To every soul, Satan comes with temptation in many alluring forms on the point of indulgence of appetite. All right, let's see, where were we? Hmm. Okay, yeah, we read that. Daniel chapter 6, 16 to 23. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and he passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, Servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? And then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lions' mouths, that they have not hurt me. Forasmuch as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den, so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Now the other, the pagans that were there, they could believe in their gods, but it would do them no good, wouldn't it? Now Daniel was always true to God while loyal to his government. So he, no matter what nation that he was in, he was loyal to his government. Whether it was Nebuchadnezzar, whether it was Cyrus, whether it was the media of Persia or Grecia, so let's read Daniel chapter 6, 28. Let's see what. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. He prospered no matter what kingdom he was in. And let's read Daniel 2, 48. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and a chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. And I believe that was Nebuchadnezzar at that point. Daniel was a government official for over 70 years. What about Esther? Esther chapter 4. She was somebody in another nation, wasn't she? Tiny little book of Esther. Chapter 4. 1 through 17. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes. He put on sackcloth with ashes. He went out into the midst of the city and he cried with a loud and bitter cry. Yeah, nothing like being low key and uh, unnoticed, is there? <laughs> he cried with a loud and bitter cry with ashes on his head, sackcloth. 
He came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make a request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again Esther spake unto Hatak, and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called. There is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day, I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. And Esther chapter 10 verse 3. Let's see what happens. For Mordecai the Jew was next unto the king Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. So it worked out okay, didn't it? Mordecai became great in the kingdom. Mordecai was true to God, and at the same time was judge. He sat in the gate under the Medo-Persian Empire. Let's read in Prophets and Kings 600 to 606. Hmm, boy, we've been doing a lot of reading. 600 to 606. But this is, I think, very interesting history in the Medo-Persian realm. Mordecai the Jew. Meanwhile, conditions in the Medo-Persian realm were rapidly changing. Darius Hystaspes, under whose reign the Jews had been shown marked favor, was succeeded by Xerxes the Great. It was during his reign that those of the Jews who had failed of heeding the message to flee were called upon to face a terrible crisis. God wanted them to go back to Jerusalem, didn't he? He kept giving them opportunities, but they just keep, kept staying there because of their prosperity in Babylon. Well, it wasn't Babylon anymore. It was now the Medo-Persian realm. 
and now it was Xerxes the Great. Having refused to take advantage of the way of escape God had provided, now they were brought face to face with death. Through Haman the Agagite, you remember Haman the Agagite, um, Saul was told to destroy all the Agagites, and apparently one got away. Through Haman the Agagite, an unscrupulous man high in authority in Medo-Persia, Satan worked at this time to counterwork the purposes of God. Haman cherished a bitter malice against Mordecai, a Jew. Mordecai had done Haman no harm, but had simply refused to show him worshipful reverence. Scorning to lay hands on Mordecai alone, Haman plotted to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. Misled by the false statements of Haman, Xerxes was induced to issue a decree providing for the massacre of all the Jews scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of the Medo-Persian kingdom. A certain day was appointed on which the Jews were to be destroyed and their property confiscated. Little did the king realize the far-reaching results that would have accompanied the complete carrying out of this decree. Satan himself, the hidden instigator of the scheme, was trying to rid the earth of those who preserved the knowledge of the true God. Oh, that makes sense. Trying to make no way for the Lord to be able to send his son into the world to die for us. Satan would destroy them all. In every province, back to my reading here, in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. The decree of the Medes and Persians could not be revoked. Apparently there was no hope. All the Israelites were doomed to destruction. Now this is a uh, parallel to what's going to happen to God's people in the end of time with the death decree, isn't it? But the plots of the enemy were defeated by a power that reigns among the children of men. In the providence of God, Esther, a Jewess who feared the Most High, had been made queen of the Medo-Persian kingdom. Mordecai was a near relative of hers. In their extremity, they decided to appeal to Xerxes in behalf of their people. Esther was to venture into his presence as an intercessor. Who knoweth, said Mordecai, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The crisis that Esther faced demanded quick, earnest action. But both she and Mordecai realized that unless God should work mightily in their behalf, their own efforts would be unavailing. So Esther took time for communion with God, the source of her strength. Go, she directed Mordecai, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. Fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. The events that followed in rapid succession, the appearance of Esther before the king, the marked favor shown her, the banquets of the king and queen with Haman as the only guest, the troubled sleep of the king, the public honor showed Mordecai, the humiliation and fall of Haman upon the discovery of his wicked plot. All these are parts of a familiar story. God wrought marvelously for his penitent people, and a counter-decree issued by the king allowed them to fight for their lives, was allowing them to fight for their lives, was rapidly communicated to every part of the realm my mounted couriers they were hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment and in every province every city whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came the jews had joy and gladness a feast and a good day many of the people of the land became jews for fear of the jews fell upon them on the day appointed for their destruction 
The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the province of the king of Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all the people. Angels that excel in strength had been commissioned by God to protect his people while they stood for their lives. Isn't God good? Even though he had given them opportunities to go back to Jerusalem, and they continued to refuse to go, and their lives became endangered because of that, he still sent angels to protect them. Mordecai was given the position of honor, formerly occupied by Haman. He was next unto King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren. And he sought to promote the welfare of Israel. Thus did God bring his chosen people once more into favor at the Medo-Persian court, making it possible, making possible the carrying out of his purpose to restore them to their own land. But it was not until several years later, in the seventh year of Artaxerxes I, the successor of Xerxes the Great, that any considerable number returned to Jerusalem under Ezra. The trying experiences that came to God's people in the days of Esther were not peculiar to that age alone. The revelator, which was John the Apostle, looking down the ages to the close of time, has declared, The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Some who today are living on the earth will see these words fulfilled. The same spirit that in ages past led men to persecute the true church will be in the future led to the pursuance of a similar course toward those who maintain their loyalty to God. Even now, preparations are being made for this last great conflict. The decree that will finally go forth against the remnant people of God will be very similar to that issued by Ahasuerus against the Jews. Today, the enemies of the true church see in the little company keeping the Sabbath commandment a Mordecai at the gate. The reverence of God's people for his law is a constant rebuke to those who have cast off the fear of the Lord and are trampling on his Sabbath. Satan will arouse indignation against the minority who refuse to accept popular customs and traditions. Men of position and reputation will join with the lawless and the vile to take counsel against the people of God. Wealth, genius, and education will combine to cover them with contempt. Persecuting rulers, ministers, and church members will conspire against them. With voice and pen, by boasts, threats, and ridicule, they will seek to overthrow their faith. By false representations and angry appeals, men will stir up the passions of the people. Not having a thus saith the scriptures to bring against the advocates of the Bible Sabbath, they will resort to oppressive enactments to supply the lack, to secure popularity and patronage. Legislators will yield to the demand for Sunday laws. So it's like they're saying, not only are we not going to honor you for keeping the Sabbath of the Lord, but we're going to force you to keep Sunday. So they went to legislators to demand it, and they will yield to their demand. Okay, back to the book. But those who fear God cannot accept an institution that violates a precept of the Decalogue. On this battlefield will be fought the last great conflict in the controversy between truth and error. And we are not left in doubt as to the issue. Today, as in the days of Esther and Mordecai, the Lord will vindicate his truth and his people. Very good. Let's go to Titus chapter 3 verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. 
Be subject to the principalities and powers. Also be ready for every good work. 1 Peter 2, 13-15 Of course, we know that as long as they, unless they tell us to do something that's against the law, we can comply. But if it's against God's law, of course, we, we have to refuse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-15 through 15, And the Bible says, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime, Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Gozor, who left the wages of unrighteousness. Peter. Oh, no wonder it didn't make sense. I was supposed to be in First Peter. Excuse me. Cross all that off. I was like, what is up with this? Okay. First Peter 2, 13 to 15. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So we are to do have well-doing, aren't we? To cooperate with rulers and leaders as long as we are able to. The Christians' willing obedience to the government will put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17 tell us, As free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We are to show honor to our leaders. The servants of God will honor the ruler of the nation. Daniel chapter 3, 1 to 26. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar, we're actually almost finished. There's like... Oh, we're very, we're very close. <laughs> okay. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. So it was like ninety feet tall and nine feet wide, and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image, which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So all the ones who had come were all the rulers, not the regular people like you and me. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. They stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, that you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So at that point in history, this was the, um, the dominant kingdom in the whole world. And these rulers were from all the nations that he had conquered. And they were there from everywhere, and they all got to see the example and witness 
of the three Hebrew worthies. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, and at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, but psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, well, but if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if, if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments, and they were cast into them, and put all their clothes on them, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. He rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound? Into the midst of the fire there they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. The three Hebrews would not disobey God, but they were faithful servants of the nation in every way where its laws did not conflict with God's laws. So as long as we can, we can be faithful. Just think how brave they were. Daniel 2, verse 49. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. And Daniel 3.12 There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So it shows the test, and then it shows the victory. Let's read. Oh my goodness, we've got more reading. Prophets and Kings, page 508 to 513. We're reading about all these nations. And what was it all about? They, God's people were to go and reveal his character to the other nations so that they could learn about him. The whole purpose was for the Jews was to be God's people, was to be a nation of priests. And they were to reach the rest of the world with the truth of God and the truth of, of Jesus. But they failed in their duties. So they had to be taken captive in order to make it happen and be put in terrible circumstances. Let's read Prophets and Kings 508 to 513. Okay. The king's wrath knew no bounds, full of fury. The form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, representatives of a despised and captive race. Directing that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than its wont, he commanded the mighty men of his army to bind the worshippers of Israel's God, preparatory to summary execution. You see, Daniel had, had interpreted his dream that after his nation would come another one in lesser value, and Nebuchadnezzar made a statue all of gold to show that his nation, his kingdom would rule forever. And it was Daniel's God that had interpreted that to him. So he was going to worship another God. And he was not going to honor the God that told him that his kingdom would come to an end. But back to the book. These men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments. They were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Lord did not forget his own. As his witnesses were cast into the furnace, the Savior revealed himself to them in person, and together they walked in the midst of the fire. That must have been a big furnace. In the presence of the Lord of heat and cold, the flames lost their power to consume. From his royal seat, the king looked on, expecting to see the men who had defied him utterly destroyed. But his feelings of triumph suddenly changed. The nobles standing near saw his face grow pale as he started from the throne and looked intently into the glowing flames. In alarm, the king, turning to his lords, asked, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Lo, I see four men loose. They have no hurt, and the former of the fourth is like the Son of God. How did that heathen king know what the Son of God was like? The Hebrew captives, filling positions of trust in Babylon, had in life and character represented before him the truth. When asked for a reason of their faith, they had given it without hesitation. Plainly and simply, they had presented the principles of righteousness. Thus teaching those around them of the God whom they worshipped, they had told of Christ, the Redeemer, to come. And in the form of the fourth in the midst of the fire, the king recognized the Son of God. And now his own greatness and dignity forgotten, Nebuchadnezzar descended from his throne, going to the mouth of the furnace, cried out, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth before the vast multitude, showing themselves unhurt. 
the presence of their Savior had guarded them from harm, uh, and only their fetters had been burned. And the princes, governors, captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whom, whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So all of these rulers from all these other nations got to go back and carry the news of that back to their own people. Forgotten was the great golden image set up with such pomp. In the presence of the living God, men feared and trembled. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The humbled king was constrained to acknowledge who has set his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. The experiences of that day led Nebuchadnezzar to issue a decree that every people, nation, language which speak anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill. There is no other god, he urged, as the reason for the decree that can deliver after this sort. This is true. And these, in like words, the king of Babylon endeavored to spread abroad before all the peoples of earth his conviction that the power and authority of the God of the Hebrews was worthy of supreme adoration, and God was pleased with the effort of the king to show him reverence and to make the royal confession of allegiance as widespread as was the Babylonian realm. It was right for the king to make public confession and to seek to exalt the God of heaven above all other gods. But in endeavoring to force his subjects to make a similar confession of faith, and to show similar reverence, Nebuchadnezzar was exceeding his right as a temporal sovereign. He had no more right, either civil or moral, to threaten men with death for not worshiping God. Then he had to make the decree consigning to the flames all who refused to worship the golden image. God never compels the obedience of man. He leaves all free to choose whom they will serve. By the deliverance of his faithful servants, the Lord declared that he takes his stand with the oppressed. He rebukes all earthly powers that rebel against the authority of heaven. The three Hebrews declared to the whole nation of Babylon their faith in him whom they worshipped. They relied on God in the hour of their trial. They remembered the promise, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. That's Isaiah 43, 2. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Amazing. And in a marvelous manner, their faith in the living word had been honored in the sight of all. The tidings of their wonderful deliverance were carried to many countries by the representatives of the different nations that had been invited by Nebuchadnezzar to the dedication. Through the faithfulness of his children, God was glorified in all the earth. Important are the lessons to be learned from the experience of the Hebrew youth on the plain of Dura, in this our day, many of God's servants, though innocent of wrongdoing, will be given over to suffer humiliation and abuse at the hands of those who, inspired by Satan, are filled with envy and religious bigotry. Especially will the wrath of man be aroused against those who hallow the Sabbath of the fourth commandment, and at last a universal decree will denounce these as deserving of death. The season of distress before God's people will call for a faith that will not falter, his children must make it manifest that he is the only object of their worship and that no consideration, not even that of life itself, can induce them to make the least concession to false worship, to the loyal heart. The commands of sinful, finite men will sink into insignificance.
besides the word of the eternal God. Truth will be obeyed, though the result be imprisonment or exile or death. As in the days of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so in the closing period of earth's history, the Lord will work mightily in behalf of those who stand steadfastly for the right. He who walked with the Hebrew worthies in the fiery furnace will be with his followers wherever they are. His abiding presence will comfort and sustain in the midst of the time of trouble, trouble such as has not been since there was a nation. His chosen ones will stand unmoved. Satan, with all the hosts of evil, cannot destroy the weakest of God's saints. Angels that excel in strength will protect them, and in their behalf Jehovah will reveal himself as a God of gods, able to save to the uttermost those who have put their trust in him. Okay, page 548. Maybe a paragraph. From the rise and fall of nations, as made plain in the books of Daniel and the Revelation, we need to learn how worthless is mere outward and worldly glory. Babylon, with all its power and magnificence, the like of which our world has never since beheld. Power and magnificence, which to the people of that day seemed so stable and enduring, how completely has it passed away. As the flower of the grass, it has perished. So perished the Medo-Persian kingdom and the kingdoms of Grecia and Rome, and so perishes all that has not God for its foundation. Only that which is bound up with his purpose and expresses his character can endure. His principles are the only steadfast things our world knows. A careful study of the working out of God's purpose in the history of nations and in the revelation of things to come will help us to estimate at their true value things seen and things unseen, and to learn what is the true aim of life. Thus, viewing things of time in the light of eternity, we may, like Daniel and his fellows, live for that which is true and noble and enduring. And learning in this life the principles of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, that blessed kingdom which is to endure forever and ever, we may be prepared at his coming to enter with him into its possession. Why do I look forward to that day? Things on this planet are just getting crazy. Let's look at 1 Timothy. This is the last reference. 1 Timothy 2, 1-3. 1 Timothy 2, 1-3. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Paul said it was good and acceptable in the sight of God to pray for rulers. Nero, who was a synonym for cruelty, was in ruling if that was pleasing to God. How much more should we pray for the rulers of our own country who fear God today? All right, finally, let me summarize. In the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside. We behold behind, above, and through all the play and counterplay of human interests and power and passions, the agencies of the all-merciful one silently, patiently, working out the counsels of his own will. The Bible reveals the true philosophy of history. The whole earth at one time was one language. God was the author of languages, 
languages, and nations. All nations were of one blood. God established the boundaries of the nations. He increases and destroys nations. He watches over the nations. He uses one nation to punish other ones. God calls even heathen nations his servants to do his bidding. When the angels of the Lord left the court of Media and Persia, Grecia arose. When God forsakes a kingdom, it is but a noise. It soon passes. We are to seek for the peace of the country where we live, and it is lawful to pay tribute. Jesus performed a miracle to pay an unjust tax rather than offend. Joseph was true to God while filling a high position in the Egyptian government. Daniel was a prime minister of Media and Persia. He was always true to God while loyal to his government. Daniel was a government official over 70 years. Mordecai was true to God and at the same time was judge. He sat in the gate under the Medo-Persian Empire. Be subject to the principalities and powers and be ready for every good work. The Christians willing obedience to the government will put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The servants of God will honor the ruler of the nations. The three Hebrews would not disobey God, but they were faithful servants of the nation in every way where its laws did not conflict with God's laws. Paul said it was good and acceptable in the sight of God to pray for rulers. Nero, who was a synonym for cruelty, was then ruling. If that was pleasing to God, how much more should we pray for the rulers of our own country who fear God? Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, this has been a very long study of all the different nations, how nations began, how you wanted to use the Jews to reach all the people in all the nations around the world, and what the outcome of that has been, the failure of human beings throughout history to be obedient, and yet your ability to bring your will to pass through it all in the end. I pray for those who are here with me today and myself. Give us strength to be obedient no matter what it looks like will happen to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, tomorrow morning, the second chapter of Daniel, we're starting to get into very serious studies.